Welcome, everybody, to the Haunted Hacker podcast, number 222, given to me by Jane Franklin. A um, little bit of news before we get started. Uh, I will be speaking at FinCon DX, a financial uh, conference, keynoting that tomorrow for TechStrong. And I'll be speaking with ICE in January and a couple other talks to be solidified in December. Um, and uh, I've locked away the mascot tonight, the uh, Loki, the, the main coon kitten. Uh, decides that he likes to terrorize the podcast and, and interrupt. So he's he's busy right now. Um, other than that, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I'm sitting here drinking PG tips that I had imported uh, and thinking about my time in London. And tonight we have a great British guest. Uh, I look up to her and, and she has an amazing career path and story. Um, so Jane, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your, your background and journey. It, cheers to that, Mike. Um, it's so good to be here. So I've been in information security or cybersecurity for over 24 years. I've built my own. Um, so first of all, I'm an entrepreneur. So that's what I do. I'm also a, a speaker and a best-selling author. And sometimes I say I'm a women's activist or certainly I say I'm a change agent. And I've been in cybersecurity or information security for over 24 years. I built my own global penetration testing company, and I owned that for 16 years. And during the course of my career, I've contributed to major industry standards and accreditations, um, schemes and forums like Crest and OWASP and Cyber Essentials. I work as a, an awards judge still, so I do lots of judging. Um, it's not just in cyber, it might be in technology, and it also is in literature as well. And that's across all the kind of age groups as well. So some of the things that I do are for, for teens, um, which is really exciting and just, just inspiring. It's incredible. And I'm featured in the media quite a lot, so that could be in all of the main British broads, broadsheets like the the Times, the um, Financial Times, the BBC, Forbes, uh, which obviously isn't British, but many, many of those along with industry press. And I do a lot of research and I have um, my insecurity scholarships, which are for women mostly. And I offer those out. I provided something like 335 um, scholarships over the course of three years and that's um, a sum of about or a value of about um, half a million US dollars I kind of counted it up the other day and we were so excited about that wow so yeah so so now really what I what I'm doing is I'm still working on my main mission which is to really get more women into cybersecurity and and remaining in it and that's the focus of my work. And I work with women and I work with businesses who value women. And the work that I do really is around um, my trainings, my keynotes and a brand new women's platform that I've just built, which is called The Source. And that is pulling um, a lot of the great work that other women's groups and some training groups that are, that are doing um, that are furthering the mission into to one place um so the source so it will become the main place that any woman in in cyber or someone who's uh, looking to get into it uh, wants to to go and get information really really fast and be supported that's fantastic you know i'm, I'm a big uh, advocate for diversity and i think what, what you and, and others do in the industry as far as promoting women in tech and, and you know diverse groups into tech and not just you know, race or, or, you know, um, ethnicity or, or sex, but complete diversity, um, I yeah. think is, is really awesome. Um, there's so many groups popping up, uh, you know, around autism and neurodiversity and stuff like that. I think it's beneficial. You know, we all think differently and it takes a, a variety of people to make a holistic solution, I think. Um, so I, I really respect that. You mentioned teens. Um, some of the work that I've done with uh, the teens in, in London specifically, I think that's some of the most rewarding work that I've done. I mean, to see them excited about something and to see them excited about tech or, or our industry is, I think it's, it's a hope for the future. I have to agree with you. It's, I mean, I've got this big focus on women, but really 
aside from that, uh, or it's certainly in parallel, is the work that, that I do with young people. And I absolutely love that. Um, working with Maggie Philbin in the in the UK on tech teen, um, tech teens, the, the awards there, is just incredible. The these kids are absolutely amazing. What they come up with, the inventions, the innovations is absolutely amazing. And particularly during lockdown as well. You know, so um, I love that work that I do. And certainly in terms of my business, I've just brought on some trainees. So I've got two 17-year-old boys, one 18-year-old boy. Um, so three three young men. One is, is neurodiverse. And it's just, they excite me so much, all of this work. And I'm a huge, huge um, advocate for getting more young people in and really supporting them in and I, I'm a mom of three kids, so my, my eldest one has done his, his degree. The other two are going through it. But it's really kind of valuing them, so investing in, in the future as opposed to abusing them and taking them for granted um, and, and so on, which is, as a mother, I've seen that. And also I've witnessed that in, in the industry. And I, I, it's important that we don't do that and we really help them on their way. And, and particularly kids from disadvantaged backgrounds, so the, the, the group of um, young men that I've got in have come from disadvantaged backgrounds and it is so rewarding to, to help them, help them on their way. Absolutely. Uh, Miss Philbin, she was a broadcaster at one point, wasn't she? TV yeah. broadcaster. So I met yeah. her in uh, Scotland at Scott Secure, um, the, one of my very first talks uh, up there. Uh, yeah. She's a fantastic speaker as well. Um, so that's really interesting. So. Tell me what got you interested in cyber. You know, let's back up all the way and, and what made Jane make the decision to go that route? Well, I kind of came into cyber in a very unconventional way, which is very typical of, of me. I do things in a topsy-turvy way, um, not intentionally, it just kind of works out that way. Um, so I, my background is in art and design. So I trained as a, as a designer and I still identify very much as a, as a designer. I love design. Good design is about form and function. And so I'm, I met someone, I fell in love with that person and we built a business. And I was always interested in tech, even though I trained as a designer and, and kind of worked as a designer and then branched out into um, another career. I was steered into, into technology largely through, through the person that I met. So he was into, into tech and he, he invited me and said, look, come along. Do you think we can do this? Um, I was in my 20s. Naively, I said, yeah, absolutely. Because he was very much, you know what you're getting yourself into. And it was just like, yeah, of course I do. And it's just like, I didn't have a clue. But because I, I really didn't know anything about technology, the thing that interested me the most was was um, security and it was really new in in 1997 um, that was pretty new but it was feasible i i really enjoyed artificial intelligence but that was just too new at the time whereas security it was feasible to to build a business and so that's how i i got into it so i i built my own tech company led with security um, and uh, and built built a fantastic um, fantastic company. I'm really proud of that company um, that that I built and owned for 16 years. Yeah, it seems like everything you touch turns to gold. You know, I was looking through your, your career and, and your resume, and it's just I I, did, I didn't even know where to start. Like there were so many things and so many diverse things on your on your uh, resume. It was just it was insane. Um, I have to say, probably one of the uh, most accomplished people that I've, I've had the, the pleasure of speaking to. Um, and it's funny you say design. So I went to art school out of, out of high school. And I think a lot of us in security, especially, uh, are, have a creative, creative streak or creative mind. Um, I think it's necessary for what we do. Yeah, what, what I see is, I still say that I see patterns. So it's like I've gone from this whole design and textile design of creating patterns and, and things like that. But I see, I see patterns, you know, I, I kind of, it's a skill that I have. I'm looking for connections and patterns and trends and thing, things like that. Um, but what I see in our industry, I see a huge um, connection with music. So it's pretty much that is really, really strong either 
Uh, we have musicians that are just creating music in the background or otherwise they are really, really into it. You know, some, some yes, maybe art, um, but music is the common, particularly so in pen testing. It's just like profile wise, it's just like really keen musicians. And it's not like any other industry. Um, it's, it's, particularly, um, it's particularly high in, in our industry. That's what I see. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just had Kevin Thomas on a couple of weeks ago and he's huge into music. And I also do like electronic music. I DJ and, and mix music and I played guitar when I was younger. So I, I totally see that in pen testing. That's actually one of my questions when I interview people for a job is what instrument do you play? And what oh. I found is most people are musicians uh, that are in pen testing. There you go. There you yeah. go. It's, yeah, it's, it's not like any other industry. We just have an abundance of, of musicians in our, in our industry. There, there's some kind of link there, probably with how the, the mind and brain brain works. Yeah. So yeah, and I, I do agree. And that's why I, I always am an advocate for diversity. So obviously I'm, I'm out there kind of leading with, with gender, but it's just like diversity in terms of experience. And it's funny, the other day I was with um, some, some people and we were talking about the industry and, and one of those people kind of um, uh, specified that she was technical. And, and almost like alienated the other two who weren't technical. And, and for me, I don't, unless it's absolutely necessary to kind of differentiate, I just say that we're all in, in security. We're in cybersecurity or information security or security because I find that really unifying. And, and we need that diversity in order to become better problem solvers, in order to, to see things, patterns that, or solutions that we might miss the more diverse we, we can be, the better we are going to be at, at our jobs, at building things, at taking things apart, breaking things, and, and all of these things we, we need to do. 100%. Um, when I started pen testing, one of the things that I used to do is actually visualize the network, like as if I was in the network, physically in it. Um, and I think a lot of people that I've, I've worked with do the same thing, visualize attacks and visualize what's going on instead of just reading it on paper. And I think that that also takes a creative mind. Um, another thing too is the industry itself. You know, you talk about unification and diversity and we have such a great industry, but we also have our downfalls as well. Um, while we're unified as an industry, I have never seen an industry so cliquish where you have groups that are always butting heads against each other and you know that I, I don't understand it uh maybe that has to do with my diversity my neurodiversity but what's your take on that yeah we have we have really interesting industry we have um we have both uh, a defense and an attack side so and often there are these two camps um, so the defending and the, the protecting. And sometimes I see a, a toxicity, if I'm being completely frank, there's a toxicity there. And sometimes the culture can be really hard and, and toxic. So sometimes you find yourself in amongst people who are always attacking. They're on the attack the whole time. I'm going to bring you down. And sometimes they don't realize that they're doing it. You know, a few years ago, I was trolled online and and it all kind of worked out really well in the end. And I, I wrote about it and learned lessons from it. And I remember one of the guys coming and attacking me and um, someone coming to, to my defense. And, and this person be, became on, on my side and he said, I'm so sorry. I just have a natural default to to attack. So so sometimes you, you can you can see that with the, with the culture. <clears throat> and then and it's really important that we we don't um we don't uh, not allow this but we kind of call it out or put a stop as much to it um as as possible because it is to the detriment of of our industry it really is holding holding us back and there are some really um there are some some people that really need a lot of help and healing um, so that they are not behaving in, in that manner. And, and it upsets me, particularly when I see young people doing this. It, it shows huge insecurity, mm. huge insecurity. And um, yeah, it's not it's not good for our, you know, in terms of like publicity. It's just like come into our industry. It's like right now we ha almost have um, uh, we're well known, actually, for 
behaving in this way. And obviously not all of us behave in this way. It's probably something like 20% of the industry behave in that way. But it, to all and sundry, it just appears like that. It's, it's harsh. And I also know some great people in the industry who are really sick and tired of it. And they will help hold their hands up and say, do you know what? I don't want to be on Twitter anymore. Or I don't want to be in this industry anymore. So, so it's really important that we call out this toxic, unhealthy behavior and we're not contributing to it and we're not turning a blind eye. And that is some of the work that I do, whether it's through through the women's work or just in in general, calling this this bad behavior or sometimes poor, poor leadership uh, where 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 people turn the other way and they just ignore it. And it's just like it's OK so long as business is, is good, so long as the money keeps rolling in. I can turn a blind eye to it. I don't like that at all. No, no, absolutely not. And I've been the the target of some of that stuff too. And it's, you know, you never know what's going on in a person's life. Uh, and especially in, in our industry where mental health and, and I've lost several friends to suicide in the industry. You never know what that person's going through. And when someone attacks them like that, you don't know the damage you could potentially cause. Um, and, you know, I, I, I tried to take the stance of, not responding to it but it yeah. is so difficult it is so poisonous and so difficult it is sometimes you do need to sometimes you do need to ignore it i mean it's just like the higher your profile goes the more you're going to be attacked and i think it's brenny brown who said um you know are you ready to fight in the arena it's worse that effect every single day you enter the arena are you prepared for that are you ready to enter the arena as a gladiator as a as a fighter but not necessarily going out to to cause a fight or look uh, or to pick a, pick a fight so um there are times when you can ignore it uh, and there are times when when i've ignored it and just kind of gone do you know what i'm not answering you you're just out to do that and i'm not going to participate and silence can be quite powerful and then there are other times where you have onlooker onlookers and you need to call it out and you do need to um, defend yourself for me what i always try and do is i always try and understand someone who's interacting with me um, and try and understand it from, from their perspective and i will give them the benefit of the doubt but if it continues, then I've usually got one, um, something that I will, just a one-liner. It's just like, and what I say is your your behavior or your words are, um, what is it that I say? Uh, something like um, illustrative or it was, it's not illustrative. It's something like that. It's just like your words say a lot about you. It's because, because they do. I have to find this phrase that I usually use. I haven't used it in a long time because um, it, it's been good. I've been okay out there. <laughs> if ever I make a mistake, I stick my hands up and say, you know, I'm, I've made a mistake. I'm sorry. And, um, oh, your words are very revealing. That's what I say. Your words are very revealing. And then that's it. So that's my, because it is a lot of what people say um reveals more about them than it does about the person that they are bitching or moaning or attacking so that's my one line at your words are really revealing and then i i leave it like that and move on i think i I think i may steal that as a matter of fact um (laughs) but yeah and, and the words that we're talking about are last forever um when they put that stuff on the internet or on social platforms guess what it's always there uh so and, and words, you know, sticks and stones can, can break my bones and words will never harm me. And many of us have been brought up with, with that saying. But mm. unfortunately, words are very powerful. Words are energy and, and they can be hugely destructive, if not um, life-threatening. Threat, life so, yeah, those, those words are you can take action and you can inform if it's done on social media mm. and the, the, the channels. But, yeah, you need support around you. You really do. That's yeah, it's... I think that's really important. Um, and we talk about, you know, people around you and, and things going on like that on the internet. Sadly enough, some of the social media platforms um, do the same thing, uh, you know, pick on people and, you know, Twitter and, and I guess it's called Meta now. Uh, Meta uh, tended to do that. And in the U.S., we don't have quite the uh, the leadership to look up to when it comes to that behavior, uh, you know, or former president was infamous for, for flaming people on Twitter all the time. So, and I think kids, they, they see this as well. It's not just constrained to our industry. I think kids go through it quite a bit 
And it's sad. It really is. You know, the internet is supposed to be somewhere where you can go learn, somewhere where you can communicate with people that you would probably never get a chance to communicate with. Um, it's a huge opportunity tool. Uh, and I hate to see it used that way. Um, but it's been that way since 90, 95, 96, I think. Um, I started out about the same time you did. And I worked at a software support company. And back then, um, if you wanted to learn something, you couldn't just go into a BBS or, or, or uh, IRC channel and ask a question because that was not allowed. Like if you asked a question, you would get R RTM, you read the manual, you would get, you know, flamed pretty hard. So you had to learn pretty much everything on your own. Uh, kids these days have it completely easy. You know, there's uh, the whole internet. But, but this is it, they do. I mean, it's, it's all there for them. But you think, I mean, this, this is the thing. For us coming into the industry, we had to learn on the job. Like now it's like closed down. You have to be qualified and certified with this, that and the other. You know, particularly in pen testing, it was just like, you know, you were self-taught and um, you, you found your way and tinkered and, and things like that. But yeah, the, the barriers are, are down. They just need to be lifted a bit with a bit more consideration as to who, who is available. And, and we wonder why we've got a shortage of talent or not enough people applying just like well you've 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 closed the doors you've restricted you've it wasn't like that in our day and we, we we've all done okay in this industry and found found our way so and it's not that things have got more complicated because actually a lot of the time you know we're still dealing with the same issues that we were 10 15 20 years ago I mean literally I'm about to put a blog out and I, I looked at it and it's just like we're that's 10 years on 10 years on over 10 years on 12 years maybe you know we're still we're still dealing with the same issues we haven't moved on in a decade right exactly and when you look at some of the defense products I, I talk about this quite a bit some of the defense products that we that we have are not more advanced that they still have the same foundation of what we had back in the late 90s um, and it's it, it's kind of shocking but it's also telling in a way um, yeah. as as an industry we have moved quite far but we haven't moved that far from where we started to be honest with you yeah yeah I, I i really agree yeah it's i mean there are some fun fun things out there and um artificial intelligence has moved on machine learning has moved on and some novel ways of crowdsourcing intelligence and and, and making a business out of that but actually doing good from it so the more we are a collective the more unified the more we're sharing and collaborating the better we can do so it's really good to see some of those uh, ways coming coming about, but equally, it's disappointing that we're still having the same discussions that we were 10, 15, 20 years ago, and that hasn't moved on. It's just like, oh, and sometimes that can be quite boring. I mean, at, during stages, you know, throughout my 24 years, sometimes I've, because I like new and, and, and I like challenges and things like that, sometimes it's, it's been like, oh, it's the same old stuff. You know, so it's almost like having from it and then having an injection of innovation is good. It's like exciting. Oh, this has come along. This is new. That's that's great. But yeah, so so I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I was I was expecting to uh, get all this new experience and, and excitement when I started taking on incident response uh, this past year. And I can I can tell you that it's just as frustrating as when people would say, what can I do to secure my network? patch right so with incident response it's the same incident every time i respond in the same reasons and as an industry i think we're failing at moving that bar of security up yeah or you look at, at um secure life cycle mm. you know it's just like the way that things are being built why have we not got more influence we need more power we need more influence so that technology can be built you know, from the from the ground up with security actually in mind from from that initial design phase, as opposed to bolted on at the end or not even considered or built. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I mean, just the way that technology is, is, is ridiculous that we are using it, at, not just in terms of secure in security community, but in terms of consumers. You know, whether small businesses or, or large businesses, and it's just like, why is the security not 
a higher priority. And then by security, I also mean privacy as, as well. So say, for example, often when we're coming to pen test a product that we might have bought, uh, there aren't any kind of, or there are very few, not certificates or badges, but it's just that you're having to pen test it after buying it and implementing it. And then you're discovering vulnerabilities or then you're discovering considerations that haven't, that the vendor won't do anything about. Mm. You know, so it's just like, well, we're just going to ignore that because our other users aren't voting it as a higher pri enough priority or, or whatever it is. That is not good enough. Not in the age that we're living in, not in no. this digital age. It's not no. good enough. No, I you totally mean? agree. I totally agree. And when you look at why companies do that. So I have my own theory. I have a theory that let's take Microsoft, let's take Amazon, some of those other companies and look at the way they produce technology. They always want to be the first to the market with the most features. That's, that's their whole objective. And so they sacrifice putting that stuff back into production to, to iron out the, the kinks and they just throw it out there to make that dollar quick. And then we're left with vulnerable products 10 years later, you know, for the next 10 years, we're, we're struggling. Yeah, I know, beggars believe. I mean, I've been there, you know, as a pen testing company owner and, and seen and, and some of the security vendors out there finding vulnerabilities in their products and them just turning a blind eye to it and just like, okay, well, that's fine. But, you know, come on. You know, you're a security company. It's just like, wow. Or, or finding out that they haven't done SDLC. You know, it's just like, oh my gosh, that's just like beggar's belief. But yeah, it's, it's still ongoing and still we're having those conversations. Or we're coming up with different names for the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's like, oh, new word, new phrase. But actually, it's the same thing that we were discussing. Yeah, we just, put, we just put lipstick on it and, and put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I made um, a transition over to the UK a couple of years ago. And one thing that I observed is that the UK in general is super excited about cybersecurity. Um, and, it, and it's like a, a fresh, a fresh excitement, right? So here in the States, it's, it's kind of monotonous and, and the markets are flooded uh, with pen testing groups, cybersecurity groups, um, but I, I had this, this sense of, of genuine like excitement over there. Uh, and I don't know if, if you sense the same thing, but, but I think that out of all the countries in the world, uh, when it comes to cybersecurity, I think England is probably one of the most genuinely excited and pushing the envelope as far as countries in cybersecurity. Interesting. I mean, as, as Brits, we are innovators. You know, so we're, we're good on our research um, and we're good at creating things. We're highly creative um, with that's science and, and technology, security, cybersecurity, art or, or design. We are really strong in, in that element. Tiny little nation, but we're really strong in that. But what I would, I would um, question Israel, I mean, the, the, the work that's coming out of Israel is, is amazing. I haven't been over there um, yet. And also the Middle East as well. It's just that those two regions, it's just kind of like, I think there's some really interesting work that we're going to see coming out of, of the Middle East. I've, I've just got back from Saudi. Um, certainly, <laughs> I know your listeners might be listening to it out of sync, but, you know, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of those, those regions. Um, we know the goodness that's coming out of Israel. So I would I would add, add those regions to, to it. But yeah, of course, as, as Brits, uh, we're, we're good on that side, the creativity side, the innovation. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the uh, artificial learning that, or artificial intelligence that is coming out of uh, England as well is, is pretty exciting. I spent some time at uh, Cambridge and speaking to people at Dark Trace. One of my good friends works there, Max Hennemeyer. And uh, we're constantly talking AI and looking at some of the, the stuff that comes out. And with there's one uh, application that came out that really caught my eye, and that was um, the AlphaGo documentary about the AI that played uh, Go against one of the world champions. And it was amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. I mean, it's when technology advances in leaps and bounds, and I think, I think during COVID, this whole like 18, 24 months, two year period, 
Mm -hmm. we've seen so much creativity we've needed it you know we've needed to come up with solutions and things like that but I think there's been an injection of, of creativity it's just like well what can we do how much better can we be how can we solve these problems so that's that's some of the goodness that's come from from this period you know this this pandemic mm -hmm. um, that's really exciting because I do believe that to be a huge leap you know it just because we we've seen that you know cloud um just the way that we're working all of that was supposed to be coming in the next two three four five years and and further but it, we've just had that fast forwarded you know thanks to the pandemic and because of the way that we've been working um some people being laid off and things like that they've needed to to create and uh, or have a break and sometimes having that break enables the creativity to come back. I mean, how many people during that period when we were in lockdown and, and so on picked up their paintbrush or a, a mu musical instrument and kind of went, oh my gosh, you know, I remember I used to draw, or I used to paint, or I used to play this instrument, or do you know what? I've always wanted to learn how to do that. I'm gonna do it. And it's just like, there's been a, a revival of creativity. Mm -hmm. And so having that space, having that injection just um, creates more. Absolutely. And I think that the, the landscape, the target landscape uh, for technology for attackers has exploded because of the pandemic. Absolutely. And it's horrifying. And yeah. that's one thing. That's why there's more talk about resilience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly for, for years I've been talking about this, writing about it, speaking it, speaking about it. But also as a, as a business owner myself, it just makes common sense. It's just like, okay, right, fine. It's not a case of if and, and when, it's, it's, it's a case of well, when you discover, because that might or, already have happened, or how fast can you bounce back? You know, what are your commitments to your shareholders, your um, clients and customers, your stakeholders? Um, how can you um, be diligent and do enough uh, within the constraints of your your budget um, to make sure that you are reducing your risk as much as possible. And uh, I think it's really, it's interesting. And I just think it's interesting. And I really do think that more of us in the industry need to have a good old dose of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. to really bring home this, this message. Because often, I know often uh, practitioners can get really frustrated with those that they're, they're working with when they don't implement full security solutions and they just don't get, sometimes they just don't get that, well, it's in line with budget or what we're doing as a, as a business. So I think a good injection of um, entrepreneurship would really help them to understand that better and as part of the understanding to be able to communicate that and gain the buy-in that is necessary in order to to influence some of the decisions that are being made. Absolutely. I think that a lot of that goes back to um, the beginnings of cybersecurity and the thought of return on investment. Um, yeah. A lot of companies back then didn't believe that cybersecurity had any ROI. And I think yeah. that thinking still kind of lingers around. Well, this is, it. you know, from a trust, trust perspective, it's just like, again, like communicating the advantages. Well, what is that return on, on security investment gonna, gonna be? What's, what's the deliverable, you know? And it is really important to, to consider that. Um, and I think it also, what's also interesting is whether or not we're gonna move into more of a, um, a liability. So you've got good practice, security, good practice, best practice, which many of us advocate or whether it is just gonna be compliance. And I think we're gonna move into much more of a compliance arena Go, going forward, which will mean tick box exercise, tick it off because the liability the business owners are, are going to face. And that's going to be really frustrating for, for those of us in the industry who believe in, in best practice, as well as like ticking off for compliance and, and the regulators, which you, you need to do. But I think that's where, where it's going to get really interesting because I think we're going to become much more compliance driven than, than best practice. Yeah, we actually have uh, the U.S. government is starting to get involved with mandates as far as cybersecurity goes. Um, I hate to see that that being pushed on people. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if it makes us all better, it makes us all better. But there will always be those companies or those people in different industries that 
would much rather pay the fine because they have that money than to actually meet that compliance. This is it. And in some cases, from a business perspective, it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. So it's like awful, but that's how how they've done the they've done the maths, and it's just like actually we're not going to spend that because actually it's cheaper to to run the risk and and pay the pay the fine. Yeah, um, you know. So and you can understand it. I do, don't agree with it, but you can un- understand it. But that's where that duty of care comes mm-hmm. in. The ethics come in, come in, and the reputation comes in. And this is where us as consumers have need to have more clout you know what is happening with our data at the moment we don't have any power over our data you know there's been a compromise um whether it's a big company or a small company and it's just like well what can we do just got to suck it up and we've got to change our passwords or whatever but the industry infuriates me so so much you know on so many different levels passwords for instance i mean it's just like crazy why can't there be a standard you know you're going to this site and it's just like it drives me insane it, it drives me insane. And from the compliance aspect, we need to be more united. From the regulation, the legal aspect, we need to be more, more regulated because, I mean, it's good business for, for many, many um, people out there, practitioners and sectors. But the more um, united we can be, the easier a job it's going to be because at the moment it's a minefield. It is an absolute minefield. And again, thinking about it from a, a, a company perspective, it's just like, wow, you've, here, is, here is your sea, here is your ocean. Mm-hmm. And if you want to play globally, you have all of these considerations to make or otherwise you, you literally look at it and kind of go, I'm going to run the risk. I'm going to take a, 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 make a decision based on risk and the information that I have and, um, and move forward in, in that respect without actually implementing some good practices that you need to. Yeah, I, I think that we actually deployed the internet in kind of a haphazard way. Um, it's, a global, it's a global being, it's a global object, but yet different countries have different laws. Like the UK has GDPR, right? We, we don't have that. Uh, we have our- yeah, yeah, exactly, you don't. But you know, you've got um, the Californian law, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty, I'm not a privacy expert and I'm certainly not a lawyer, but I think that's that's there are similarities there. But it's just like, come on, you, you have all the states. If if you just take the US, it's just like all of the states in the US, and then you've got all of the other countries in the world. And it's just like when you are operating globally, all of those considerations, you know, from from simple privacy, a statement on your website, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like all of those considerations that that you have to make. And there are tools out there that, that can help you. And there are great practices and consultancies and so on that, that can help too. But it is a minefield. It's not easy. And we could do a much better job. Oh, absolutely. When you look at it from a, a unique perspective, right? If you look at it from an attacker's perspective and you look at how disparate the different countries are with their regulations, their compliance, um, and even go, going as far as the way different countries prosecute hackers you can see how disparate the whole world is when it comes to the internet ransomware insurance it's just like some companies it's like yeah it's a crime to to pay the ransom and that right now the best best practice advice is don't pay the ransom you know but we you know i know and we know that a lot of a lot of um, companies out there those in charge are making a call when it happens to them it's just like okay right fine yeah i'm gonna pay the ransom or no, I'm not. I've got backups and everything in place, ready to go, and da da da. But it's it's not as simple as as that. So yeah, completely agree. It's, it's crazy, and I've done something like twelve instant response uh, engagements in the past sixty days. And one thing that that discourages me and, and makes me kind of lose a little bit of hope about the direction we're going is when cyber insurance gets involved. Their first question always is, "Who's the attacker?" And how much do they want? Not, yeah. let's take a look at the network and see if we can dig you out before we consider paying a ransom. Immediately, they want to know how much. Um, and I think it's, a, it's the wrong approach. And I think the more that we pay the attackers, the more it's going to happen because there's benefit there. And, yeah. 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 And I've seen attackers that, well, companies that have paid the attackers 
and then the attackers come back and do it again. So well, yeah, this is a, and also if you do pay, there's no assurance that you are going to get everything restored. I can't remember yeah. what the percentages are, but I looked into it fairly recently when I was chairing a conference, and it's just like there is no guarantee at all. So it's like yes. it's it, it's a, it's a game of risk. The game of risk. Why would you? It, it is, and, and it's painful to watch these companies go through that. Um, the latest one I did, actually the most impactful one that I've done in the past couple of months, um, was a small medical company. And yeah. they were providing x-rays and images to different facilities. And everything got locked. Everything got encrypted. And I saw the real impact of it. It wasn't just technology. It, this is touching people's lives and people's well-being. Well, this is, uh, I mean, we had our first death, didn't we, in Germany? Mm. So that was, that was not too long, too long ago. So we have, we have a, a serious case. So yes, it is, it's not just a case of loss of revenue or loss of assets and an IP or uh, bad reputation. Um, it's, it can be life-threatening. So it's becoming far more serious and the more connected we become the more um, online we, we become, the more technology advances, the more dependent. I mean, to me, I just see us boiling the frog. We are literally boiling the frog right now. And it is horrifying to, to watch, you know, all of the bad design that is out there, all of the, the solutions that don't, don't work. They don't work with one another. They, they either don't work full stop or they don't work with one another and they're supposed to. Um, it is infuriating. I mean, literally almost everything you touch and you think about the numbers of tools that we are using on a daily basis. I mean, two or three years ago, it might be three years ago now, two or three years ago, I did a, a panel for, for Dropbox and we were talking about the numbers of tools that we're using. I think on average, then it was something like 40 tools per day. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just like, that's only going to in increase. And it's just when these don't work and when they don't work with one another and we're reliant on them, it's, it's just infuriating. We're dependent and we're controllable and we are, it's just not a good position. We're, yeah. we're losing so yeah. much. We're literally, yeah, we're literally at the mercy of the tool oh. production. And yeah. I thought SIM, when SIM, the idea of SIM first came out, I thought, here we go. We're going to unify things. And it's all going to work together. But when you know it, that that was not the solution to answer the problems. Um, and I, I really, truly think when people was asking, you know, what do you think it's going to take to move that bar? What, what do you think it's going to take as far as what we can do better? And it's not more tools. It's not more advanced platforms. It's basics. It's yeah. I, I'm going to deploy a VPN because there's lockdown. Let's look at what VPN solutions are out there. And let's look at the vulnerabilities before we buy them. And I think people at home do the same thing. They go out and buy, you know, like let's say a Siri device or an Alexa device. And, but they don't look at what's going on in our industry as far as that device goes. And they leave themselves completely vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. It's like impact, isn't it? It's like, what's the impact of making a decision based on, on that? Have you mm -hmm. thought it through? It's, yeah, but we can, we can make that we need to we need to improve ourselves and the way that we are operating for others to kind of get at so we need to become much more influential we need to lead more we need to be able to communicate better so that we can help others to become more aware of of the decisions that they're making and the impact that that can can have so I think there's a bit of a, of a revolution that needs to occur collectively um, in terms of people, humans, <laughs> consumers, individuals, um, but certainly in terms of our, us in our industry, then we, we need to look inwards and we need to upskill up ma majorly. And it is the foundations because like, like most industries, if we do the basics really, really well, and certainly in security, if we do the basics really well, then we are going to get rid of the majority of the vulnerabilities, isn't it? Exactly. And But what's really surprising is I did a 
podcast with uh, Dana, and Dana has this huge like podcast, and she does like CMMC stuff. Um, and we talked about geotagging on photographs and how vulnerable you know that leaves kids and, and stuff like that. And would you know that there were security professionals who didn't know that that actually existed? And I'm like, wait a minute, this is so old. Like this is way old. Um, but I think that there's a lot of that that goes around. Uh, I, I dabble a lot in RF. I say dabble. I spend most of my time on RF. Uh, and the reason being is we've created these defense platforms where we focus on IP, applications, yeah. stuff like that. And unless your company is built inside of a Faraday cage, you're vulnerable to RF. Um, yeah. And people are shocked. They're like, wait a minute, you can do this? And I have to explain to them, we've been doing this for the last 20 years. Just nobody pays attention. So, there, I mean, I think as an industry, we do have a lot that we need to communicate to each other and, and build each other up and raise that bar together. Um, yeah. There's too many disparate groups that, that are focusing on different technology, but not sharing it collectively. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? It's just like, and again, it's part of our industry. It's just like secure lockdown. It's mine. Nobody else is, no one else can see it. And it's just like, actually, we need to open up more. The more we, which is going against everything. It's just like, the more we open up, the more secure we can, we can be, but it's that leap of faith almost, you know, it's, it's um, seeing, I think of Indiana Jones, it's, it's probably crazy, but I think of Indiana Jones, you know, in one of his, I think it's the third one, the one where he's with Sean Connery. And I say Indiana, and I get, I get the piss taken out of me for saying Indiana and not Indiana. <laughs> but um, as I've just recently discovered, um, but he's he's doing this and he's going to, is it, um, he's going to find, is the Holy Grail. Holy Grail. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's throwing dust over the bridge. You know, he's taking that leap. He's taking, putting his foot out into the void and then he, he, he goes onto the bridge and then he throws the dust and he sees the bridge and, and off he goes, you know, race, races along. And I think it's a bit like that for us. Yeah. You know, we need, to, we, need to, we need to do more of that. Yeah, I think as an industry, there's a lot of, a lot of room for growth uh, and definitely some, some new invention. Um, so what do you have coming up in the, uh, the near future? Any talks, any big projects? Yeah, I've got... Um, Yes, so I have got a major project. So I've got I've got some good talks as well, some major talks. So I'm 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 I'll be talking at Harvard Asia next year in India. Nice. So that's going to be in August, and I don't know if that's going to be live, obviously, because of the situation. Um, and there's some other ones. So like every woman, I'm going to be doing a talk in in London with them in March and some other ones that are just being put in place now. But my my main focus next year is gonna be on my women's platform, the the source. And that is is really it does three it does three things. So it's it's for women, um, all levels. So whether you are entry level or leader level, including entrepreneurs, um, it come come and join. So it's gonna be like a, a playbook. But you'll have three things that that are in it. You've got masterclasses, so therefore personal and professional development. Um, so I'm drawing experts from my network who will come and teach a masterclass, and then experts from the industry who will come and teach a, a class. And then there will be the mentor matching and the accountability buddying up um, matching. And then there's a whole load of res resources to really um, help women to become stronger more resilient more empowered more informed um more energized so that they don't get burnt out um, and worn out it's i need to help companies and that's why i work with companies so to help them to instigate good practices that will not only attract women and retain women but actually be beneficial for all people and um, so but certainly the platform We'll have a whole load of resources, so events. I'm collaborating with other groups so that I can share their, their work. Um, it will have podcasts on there, stories, jobs that employers have, so there'll be a natural flow, and there will be communities wrapped around, around it. So if you are an entrepreneur, there's an entrepreneur community. If you are a student and you're studying a for a particular exam, then you will have that community. So it's, it's, um, that's my major 
focus um, for for next year to get that up and up and running and really delivering value for the members and also the companies who who use it. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited about about that. And I'm it's so time for me because I I've been um, I wanted to launch that in 2019. I built the platform in 2019. <clears throat> the experts weren't ready, so it didn't launch. And then in 2020, my plan was to, to launch it then, and, and we had COVID, and it was it was literally all hands um, to to the deck to survive, um, mm. and and then thrive that. But it was like, oh my god, what is going on when everything stopped? You know, all the money stopped, all the projects. Like, hang on a minute, it's just like, oh my god, you know, what's going to happen? So 2020 was really kind of figuring that that out, and and 2021 was like back on track you know this needs to this needs to happen this year it, it really does so it's it's something I've been working on in the background for probably about five five years um but yeah so next next year it's like head down focus and and charge and I'm excited about the impact that that's going to make for us as a, as a security community yeah, absolutely, and that's that's so inspiring to 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 hear about that type of project going on. Um, so we're at the end of our hour, and it's been an absolute brilliant conversation. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you for coming on. And uh, if anybody wants to ask you a question or, or get a hold of you, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, definitely come and connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, and it's I keep it really simple. So it's Jane Frankland. So just look for me um, there. And if I don't come back to you, please <laughs> persist. Um, it's not that I'm ignoring you. So um, just just keep on asking and and I will answer. It's just that I might not do it immediately. It just depends how much I, I've got on. But yeah, that's the best way to find me. Awesome. Well, and and I think you have something like twenty two thousand followers on one platform. Just an insane amount of followers. Yeah, and also the other thing that I've got coming out, I've got um, books coming out. So I've just awesome. got, I've got, yeah. This is the, I'm excited about this. So I've just my second book is called Insights. It's going to be a series of books. I'm going to be coming to the community asking for help with this series. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm so excited about, about this. And then I'm I'm going to kick that off, get that book out. I've got a planner coming out as well, um, which will help the community. And also I'm just about to start writing my third book, which will challenge me definitely as a writer. And it will be highly valuable for, for the community. So, yeah, there's quite a lot of writing work that's going awesome. on as well. Yeah. Awesome. Does the word overachiever come into play at any point? I mean, because you have so many inspirational things going on and you're everywhere. Um, just an awesome inspiration. But thanks again. And uh, do you have any questions for me before we before we close it out? Not at all. It's, it's been so lovely talking to you. So thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, guys, that'll be it for today. And uh, you know, if you see Jane on social platforms, make sure you say hello. She's very inspirational and a great person. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jane. Thanks. Bye. Bye.